Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, I'm Caroline B. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> So the words of Caroline B, one of our regular Kickstarter backers who's part of our uh, predictions competition standings as well. She's taken on Matt, she's taken on Catherine, she's taken on me, no doubt she's beaten us all. What we do know is she's introduced the podcast and she's helped us along our way to back it for another year. 2019, tennis podcasts every week and daily at all the Grand Slams and, well, as many others as we can possibly manage. Catherine Whittaker's here. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, hello, Matt. Hello, David. Hello. We've got lots to talk about this week. Yeah, we were just uh, listening back to episode two uh, here in the pub garden outside the Putney Exchange to when... Um, we know how to have a good time. Yeah, we have a... we come to the pub and listen to early episodes of the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> it's that good, folks. I tell you, that's why you need to tell your friends about the show every week, because I always tell you at the end, I'll do it at the start this week. Yeah, tell your friends about the Tennis Podcast, retweet it, get everybody listening, uh, because these are the kind of conversations we have. We're going to talk about Miami. We're going to talk about Ash Barty and Roger Federer winning the titles and Brian Brothers in the doubles and uh, Elise Mertens and Arena Savalenka. But first, better get this out of the way. This is what was said last week about the chances of Roger Federer winning the Miami title. Yeah, I really thought that Federer might be about to go out. Um, yeah, he was properly on the ropes in a way that Djokovic, who lost his set last night, was not. No, indeed, really on the ropes. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think new Miami suits Roger Federer particularly well. I don't think he likes the grit in the surface. I don't think he likes the change. Um, no. I don't think he thinks it's the new USA. When you get to a certain age, Catherine, (laughs) change doesn't. Um, And yeah, he's he's not hitting the ball. He looks a different player to what he looked in Indian Wells. To me, he's not. He's missing on the backhand a lot. It's a lot of mistiming. He's not in my list of people that I think might win it. But but it's but it's possible. Really, that's a big statement. I I regretted it as it was coming out. (laughs) Okay, he's in the list. (laughs) He's not even in the list. He's on the list. Oh goodness, Matt, say something. I think it's possible that he that he would have like taken quite a lot of information from that first match, and he might have adjusted and be better today. So, what do we think, folks? I would say that in the end, uh, that worked out pretty well for Roger Federer. Uh, and it's worked out pretty well for you as well. Have you ever sounded more gleeful? 
or I realise this is a, an audio medium, but looked more gleeful. <laughs> yes, I am quite pleased with myself. Uh, but yeah, what I was getting back to at the start of the show was episode two. I had one of those as well over Serena Williams, who I said would win the French Maybe Open. Listen to us, episode two. Yeah, well, it's People still there. Listen to it now. It's still there in the archive. You can go and hear it as I did. Uh, I said Serena Williams would win the French Open in 2012, and she promptly lost in the first round. So it happens to us all. Was that when she lost to Rosano? Yes. <laughs> that was the first. That was the, that was what prompted Patrick Moratoglu to get the job, wasn't it? Do you remember that? He's never looked back. He's never looked back. He's never looked back. But actually, to be fair, as we heard in the subsequent clip, um, Catherine, you did uh, caveat your your view of the list. Hashtag the list. I spoke in haste and uh, repented at leisure, and. Um, I tell you what, what, what. Uh, well, actually, I repented very, very quickly, didn't I? Um, I mean, Matt, Matt had it on the nose, didn't he? Because look, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and he really—I stand by everything I said there about his performance against Rowdy Walbot. That was not the performance of somebody that was going to go on and win that tor- tournament. Mm. No way. Um, but I failed to consider what Matt did, which is that. He, like a sort of tennis android, used the data and um, and used it as a learning experience. And I think I also underestimated the determination of Roger Federer to do that and to win that title. Because um, I thought he looked like grumpy Federer, yeah. really grumpy, and I thought... He might just not quite fancy it, you know. Not like quite fancy new the new the new U.S. Open. <laughs> um, he looked like he should have had the beard the way he yeah. was performing. And but then I think, look, I think Djokovic going out helped. I think his eyes lit up, and he thought, "Hey, this is a big chance for me to get a big title." To get as much as he tells us, he's not thinking about 109, 110. I believe it's there somewhere. Um, so I think his eyes lit up. That was a big thing, and. Yeah, Matt had it on the nose, absolutely on the nose. I was quite a long way from the nose, <laughs> somewhere in like the groin knee area. I was in the belly button myself, so don't worry about it. Um, um, yeah, take your plaudits, Matt. Thank you. I mean, we have. It's interesting what you say about Novak Djokovic going out because that feels like a really long time ago now. But I remember at the time thinking we've seen Federer grow in tournaments before when Djokovic has gone out. The one that sticks out is the. 2017 Australian Open when Federer was coming back from his knee surgery and I think Djokovic lost to Istamin didn't he and Federer had been in like really scratchy form against I think Meltzer he played maybe and then he put in that performance against Thomas Burdick the day after Djokovic had gone out and he was a completely different player and I think he I think he does sense that because Djokovic is his, you know, is his kryptonite really isn't he um, the other thing I just wanted to say about Federer adapting I was looking back at some of the Masters and how they've changed and when there has been a change, interestingly, Federer's won. So he won on blue clay in Madrid in 2012, and he won Madrid. And he won Madrid 2009, which was the first time it was played on clay. So, and then now he's won Miami when it's switched venue. So, as long as he can get through that first round where he was really quite poor, I mean, I thought he was going to lose to Albert as well in that match. As long as he can get through that, mm. he's he's kind of malleable and he can adapt his game kind of to suit anything really if he's in the mood he has to be up for it as you said 
I think as well, if you, it works the other way. There are times, the amount of times we've seen Federer, particularly at the slams in the early rounds, look unbeatable. Mm. Look as though it's just all so easy. Yeah. And then he just runs into a day where somebody either stays with him and he loses his way or I don't know whether the weather's an issue or whatever it might be. And actually, he did one interview with you guys uh, on Prime this week, which I felt just shedded a bit of light on what it is like to be a tennis player at his rarefied levels. He said, you don't know before a match that you're going to play well. It's during the match you discover where you are and you either just you're on or you're not and I found that really interesting because I you know we sometimes talk about it and reduce it down to oh did he get out of the bed the right side or not and it appears not like that yeah I mean I think can we not all relate to that on some level yeah Um, I mean at my incredibly um, uh, uh, pathetic puny level of um figure skating when I was a teenager I mean I could have got out of bed thinking yeah this is my day and then fallen on every single jump I mean I, I can remember <laughs> unfortunately like? many incidences <laughs> of that happening How much does it hurt? and you just don't know till you step out there you're standing there in the center of the rink waiting for the music to start and it's it could be the skate of your life or it could be an absolute disaster and you've no idea and it's seemingly out of your control which is preposterous is it really painful when you fall on ice repeatedly <laughs> yeah yeah it looks horrible I think the first time it's alright but uh, mm. yeah I think, anyway I think actually go to our social media for footage of Catherine absolutely nailing ice skating and David not, not oh, quite yes. do you remember yes. that's yes. right thanks for bringing that up Matt that. thanks you invited him <laughs> um Yes, it's. Uh, I mean, let's talk about the, the routes that he had, because you, you, you're quite right. A week, a week ago, he looked irritable. The surroundings were new. Um, we've had a lot of correspondence about the stadium, mm-hmm. which we should say has has done record figures attendance-wise compared to previous editions of Miami. Sixty sixty thousand more people through the gates than in any edition of of Miami previously. Which is obviously fantastic, but that confirms for me that that main stadium is not right because if you can be having record attendances and levels like that which is obviously brilliant it should feel like it Mm. yes Um, and it it didn't in that main stadium there's an acoustics problem um, and a feel problem I don't know whether they reorganise it and a shadow problem yeah major shadow yeah I just wonder whether you know first year can they make some changes but how do you add soul and feel I don't don't know that's going to be a and yet, it's all those outside courts had that, didn't mm. they? Oh, yeah. I mean, that the Shapovalov TFO match that actually was scheduled to be played on on Stadium One, but it was on a, a heavily rain affected day. And in the end, they they had already started a a doubles match featuring the Bryan brothers, who obviously went on to win. And we'll we'll talk about that. Um, they ended up calling off that match match midway through, and saying, "Look, you guys are going to have to wait till tomorrow to finish that." Um, in order that they could switch the Shapoval TFO quarterfinal to start on there as soon as the rain finished. And it, it, it was magical. It was two hours, 20 minutes of breathtaking, breathless tennis. Yeah. Um, and it, I'm not sure it would have been had it been played on Stadium 1. I'm sure it would have been a good match, but it, it, it filled the stadium. Um, and... Um, 
yeah, it was absolutely magnificent. And the only reason it wasn't longer than two hours, 20 minutes, because it felt like a longer match than that, was because they both played so quickly. Um, mm. And that was something that was really noticeable to me during, during the match, not only the quality of it all, but I was never looking down at my phone or sort of casually, you know, while all the ball bouncing and, and wedgie removals going on, sort of checking Twitter or anything. Because I do that idly without even realising I'm doing it during the, the break between points. And I suddenly realised sort of in the third set of that that I haven't been doing that at all. I've just been absorbed in this match because it's non-stop entertainment. And, and the thing is about tennis stadiums as well is bigger is not better mm. and you know we see that every year like you know when we were in Melbourne for the Australian Open my favourite court to be on was the court three because it was tight and you get an atmosphere as long as it's full and they're engaged that's better than kind of 10,000 people kind of spread out not really interested because they're too high up and that's something they're really going to need to address I think and actually if you think of the tournaments that we've been to and the ones we, we watch it is often those smaller courts that people talk about mm. in that way in a really affectionate way that, that I think that often the spectators will have this really special experience and the players actually you'll often hear players talk about the, the amazing atmosphere they've had on a certain outside court that is nothing like uh, on centre courts. I mean, it was it was jam packed for the final mm. for Federer, but that was probably was it? yeah. It was. There were empty seats on there. Event, look, I think eventually, anyway, it was jam packed. Okay, maybe it wasn't at the okay. start, but I, my feeling was that it was packed at the and, end. And also, I think the problem is it's difficult. I find it quite difficult to gauge how full it is with that court because you see all the empty seats around the actual bit that's, that's used point. for yeah. tennis. So. It, it maybe doesn't look full, even though it technically is, kind of. It was certainly not full during the Federer-Shapovalov mm. match, which is the one I, I remember taking a picture of at the time. That one looked notif- noticeably mm. uh, not full. Um, but even when it was full, it still didn't feel quite right. Chris Clary came from the New York Times uh, towards the end of the events, and, and he said, look, you, I don't see how you add the soul mm. and the feel and the atmosphere that they that they want that any tournament wants given the sheer size of the American football stadium in which that relatively small 13,800 stadium sits you know 65,000 seat arena is what it's built inside of I mean it it's just so difficult to, to recreate but in terms of Federer's tennis over the course of that 10 days it was almost instant wasn't it from that Albot performance to I can't remember he played after he played that. Um, Philip Krajanovic Krajanovic which was, I would, a, it was, it was a better performance it was better I'd still only put that as like a 7 mm. out of 10 what was the and majestic one then he played oh, Medvedev. Medvedev that was oh, yes, sublime yes, that was 61 was minutes Medvedev didn't do an awful lot wrong he had that that look of shock and horror about him yeah. for the whole match like he didn't know what had hit him and we all he thought that would be there. close didn't we really mm. I really did and I thought you know Medvedev believes in himself you know he's not got he's not got baggage against Federer I, you know I think he did go out there thinking hey I've got a shot here and just didn't know what had hit him mm. after a few games because that was brutal and then uh, Kevin Anderson comes along and is six love two love down and he doesn't know what's hit him either um, I mean incredible credit to him for making that second set competitive he actually broke back got mm. it to four all um, that was the one being played whilst TF yes. and yeah. Shepard yeah. were playing at the same time and I remember because Prime didn't join the Federer match because Shapovalov TFO was so good and he, 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 it was so quick that 
it was over only about five I, I minutes. I thought it after. was a joke when somebody said it's yeah. it's almost over. He must have wanted the ground to swallow him up, Kevin Anderson. Yeah, well, it's such a feature of Federer at the moment. These fast starts. I think I read that eleven of his last twelve wins have been inside an hour and a half. You know, he's just flying through mm. matches, um, and he's and he did it against two massive servers, Anderson and then Isner in the final. Who you're thinking, right? Their best bet is get this into a tie break, make it close. But Federer just broke them first game both times. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, and that that just shows how. He wasn't needing to play himself into a match. His form was just right there by the end of the tournament. He he beat Shapovalov next, who I felt made real strides. Obviously, that's the furthest he's come in, in one of these events. Is it ever? I think it is. No, he's, he's done it twice before. He's Montreal 2017 and Madrid. Madrid last year. So he's going for the ends. He's going for, watch out, Monte Carlo 2020. <laughs> Shapovalov will be in the semi-finals. He, yeah. He got to the semis here, but he didn't get to the semis in... Montreal, Mid- Madrid. Madrid? Yeah. Mm. He did last, last year, year. Yeah. beat Kyle Edmund. Oh, how come mm. I didn't say... That, didn't, uh, beat really Kyle Edmund, lost to Zverev. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because well, st- it still struck me that these his win over Tsitsipas, Shapovalov, mm. and then followed up with the win over Tiafa, they felt like grown-up wins. Yeah, you know, like, from a set-down. Uh, yes. They, they, he wasn't just flashy and, and mind-bogglingly talented. He was gritty hmm. and he was taking them on and and just beating them at their own game almost but the match he played against Federer and he he, he alluded to it before he played him saying that I've been waiting for this match my whole life which incidentally started I think a year after Roger Federer turned pro um, <laughs> but he reverted to junior mode in that match I know Federer was was exceptionally good but I thought that that was a junior-like performance from Shapovalov. I think he came out flailing around. I don't think he believed he had a chance, really. I don't, and it was the same against Djokovic at the Australian Open. You wouldn't get that from Tsitsipas. You wouldn't get that from, I don't think, Zverev. You wouldn't get that from Kyrgios. You might get a different kind of mess-up by Kyrgios, you know, because of, of how he is. But... Shapovalov walked onto that court like a child, by comparison. Yeah, I think that that's really well put, actually. Um, and there wasn't a lot of problem solving, was there? It was all going wrong, and he looked like a rabbit in the headlights. And Federer is taking all his time away, and suddenly mm. his swings looked enormous and so extravagant and indulgent. You know, to be trying to take that much time on the ball when your opponent's taking it away from you, when of course, you know at their best the just 24 hours earlier his swings had looked like <laughs> the most poetic beautiful thing you'd ever seen on tennis court um, yes there wasn't a lot of problem solving that went on um, you know in the way that there was with, with Kevin Anderson mm. six love two love down he just stuck in there and tried some things and you know got himself to four all and I was so impressed with with Kevin Anderson for doing that because it must have felt horrible yeah um, with Shapovalov uh, didn't didn't do that. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of grit in that match, and I still think overall strides have been made in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, uh, something that Greg Rosetsky said in the Prime Video Studios, he doesn't think he'll ever do the wrapping again because he ended up losing the match after that he did that in Indian Wells, and he mm. said tennis players are too superstitious to. Mm. Um, so we might be spared the horror. <laughs> 
So good on whoever beat Shapovalov in that match. <laughs> yeah, who was it? Who is the hero? Um, I can't remember. Who it did lose to an Indian? Oh, yeah. Hercash. Yes. yes, of course. Who beat Dominic Team? Yeah. Um, in Miami. No, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think Shapovalov will get there with this stuff and he will learn how mm. to handle playing these guys. But I think he walked on to the court and it was like walking into the poster that he'd had on his wall but all his I, life. I don't know about you but all my alarm bell as much as it was a wonderful line mm. for us to run and talk about in the studio him saying I've been waiting for this match all my life yeah. my all my red flags went up yes. at that point but when, and when he was playing the match I got the sense that and I felt the same against Djokovic he started celebrating little moments now you might say well yeah he hasn't got many moments to celebrate so he's making the best of it but I felt it was more oh did you see what I did there you know I know I'm not going to win but that was a good moment wasn't it that was like a consolation uh, or just and that's not right that's not what he is going to be going forwards I, I hope at least for his sake yeah to me it was just, it was like he was just pleased to be there and yeah but you know that experience is now over for him. He doesn't have to play Federer for the first time again. So you'd like to think that when he, when he, if and when he does play him again, he will be better equipped to deal with it. And but also I think he was, he was nervous. I mean, not only was he going for flashy shots, but he was missing routine balls that he'd been making comfortably against TFR. I mean, I think he hit. 20 unforced errors in the first set I mean he just couldn't keep the ball in the court and it was a shame because it was a match that you know quite a lot of hype had built up around again I also think had that match been played on a different court mm. um, and that's not to, to let Shepovalov off the hook I think he needs to find a way to to create the energy himself if the crowd isn't giving it to him you know it's, it's, it's I think it's a lot easier for him to play um, big time tennis out on the grandstand court where he's, he's feeding off the the electricity from the crowd is right there you know mm. they are they're literally you know right next to him whereas mm. on that court he wasn't getting much from them and he wasn't able to create it for himself he seemed flat um, so hopefully a learning experience for for Dennis good learning experience for Felix Auger Aliassime as well and an incredible experience qualified and all the way through to the semi-finals and frankly could have beaten John isn't he he was, he was a break up in both sets served for, both, for sets. both sets served for both sets I mean that's uh, that, that'll sting and, and from what we were hearing he went straight out and started practicing his serve straight after that loss um, but the wins that he had along the way I mean he was making you know, he was making matches look routine against good players uh, and he's 18 what, what makes him special? Oh, well Greg calls him the right-handed Rafael Nadal so that tells you how special his forehand is um, I won't go so far as to say he has no weaknesses because I think the, the serve did get exposed a bit yesterday but from what I'm hearing it's nothing technical that can't be resolved and he certainly has evidently the will to resolve it um, and I do think some people were extremely harsh on his serving deficiencies in that semi-final against John Isner when from what I can gather if he's as nervous as we all think he was and as tight that Daniela was explaining that your left arm in the ball toss if it sort of stiffens up or feels heavy which is what she was saying throughout that match it would cause your toss to be um, 
very wayward. But hey, look, the fact that he went out on the practice court and uh, was bashing serves down straight away indicates that you know he recognises there is a problem technically that he can work on. But uh, great attitude generally, mm. that isn't oh. it? That makes you see. And look, I don't know him. I, I not only know Denis Shapovalov a little bit. I'd like to see a little bit more of. Ojeanis Eliasim in Shapovalov, who, mm. as you said, looked happy to be there. I don't want to see that. Don't he's no, don't want him there for the postcard. And Ojeanis Eliasim is not happy with any of what happened in that semi-final. I think he'll be having nightmares about it for a long time. And that's what you, that's what you want. I want him to be kept up at night by the fact that mm, yeah, he, he aimed to serve for both those sets and. Yeah, he, he seemed absolutely gutted in press afterwards. He said the nerves felt like a virus. Yeah. Oh, Which is an amazing line, isn't line. it? You know. And the thing is, you know, great players aren't flawless when they start. You know, we, it's ludicrous to expect him to be a complete player who's got it all already. I mean, that's just, that's just not going to happen. I mean, even if you take the big three, I mean, Federer, I mean, you'll know this better than me, David, but he needed to kind of sort out his emotions and mm. and Nadal needed to adapt some surfaces other than clay and Djokovic needed to get his health right you know he was retiring all the time when he was Australia seems age you know takes time and what a breakthrough week for Australia seem and it's and it's been building it's not completely come out of nowhere which I like and all those markers the the first player from the 2000s on the men's side to hit the you know, who was born in the 2000s to, to break the top 50. Yeah. He's 33 in the world already. He's, his first direct entry into the main draw at Slam, yeah. he'll probably be seeded. I mean, wow. Uh, his first <laughs> I five... I think he's 33 in the world at the moment, but yeah. Which would probably get him a seeding anyway with yeah, an injury. exactly. First five matches against top 20 players, he won the lot. Yeah. Um, whereas Federer and, Federer and Djokovic were one and four, and Djokovic was two and three. It's, it's mind-boggling, really. Um, some of these statistics. He's going to play on grass as well. Him, Shapovalov, and TFO are going to play at Queens. He's never played. He's never even played on. No, grass he skipped the whole before. grass court season last year to go and hone his game on clay. He thought clay's the best place for me as a 17 year old and by all accounts I, th- I, I believe that's true Dimonor went and played uh, mm. a lot on clay during his formative years I mean he's still 19 I mean he's still in his formative years but you know what I mean um, and that that was an incredibly mature decision as well like he would have had the opportunity um, to I don't know whether he would have got a wild card for, for Wimbledon he certainly could have played qualies I think in summer last year mm. um, but he thought no I'm going to wait for my first opportunity to play Wimbledon something I can only assume he'd thought about for all 17 years of his life I can imagine him having one or two problems on that surface getting used to it um, I can imagine if Gilles Muller were to come out of retirement he might beat him in the first <laughs> round um. <laughs> wow Gilles Gilles Muller getting a mention. <laughs> um, yeah, but Gilles Muller could come out of retirement and beat a lot of people in the first round of Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Isner in the final is the man who ended up beating him. Oh, this chap's loving it. Um, John Isner ended up beating uh, Auger Alassim, played against Federer. He, he's got the best serve in the, on the planet in the view of many and he got broken in the first game against Roger Federer you know yeah and in subsequent games 6-1 first set and I know we have to sort of treat this final in two separate parts don't we there's pre and post Isner 
injury. Yeah. Um, what was it? Some sort of foot foot problem? Yeah. Well, he, he asked the physio whether he'd broken his mm. ankle. Do you think my ankle's broken? Mm, I can only assume the physio said no or else there's no way he'd have been sent out there to continue playing but um, but before that he was being demolished by Roger Federer on on serve even which is I can't really think of any times I've seen that happen to John no. Isner he got, he got broken three times in one set I mean I don't know the stat on when that last happened the one that immediately comes to mind is when he lost that set six love to Timo Debacco having played for 11 hours against Nicola Mahu. Oh. You know, it, it's, it's that kind of level. I love that, that that's immediately springing to your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to do with Timo Debacco yeah. immediately springing to anyone's mind. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. But it, it does show as well. I mean, it, Federer's eyes lit up at the idea of playing against this big server in know, this big final, like, didn't like they? For most people, that's a nightmare. And Federer's like, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be a goalie. He's going to be like a penalty shooter. Yeah. He said, oh, I love watching big servers. He's the same he, if you play serving volleyers. He loves everything. <laughs> <laughs> he loves He's beating just big servers. He's high on life. He's upbeat people. He's, uh, no, <laughs> it's so <laughs> annoying. When I read those quotes, he's saying, yeah, I just, I love watching big servers even more um, than I like watching long rallies you know you just don't know what's going to happen it's like a penalty shootout I'm just so excited about it all <laughs> bless and, and one man who, who wasn't happy about that first set was Mardy Fish who'd put, oh. who'd put out on Twitter that if he had one guy to play tennis for his life over one set it would be John Isner <laughs> Federer just ended his life in 21 minutes <laughs> He got quite a lot of stick for that, and I found that a really interesting. It was an interesting gateway to take. debate. Um, Who do you have? Nadal. I, I think. said Nadal on clay, on clay at Roland No, no, but because I think no, you're falling into. I'm going to tell you off in the same way I told Greg off in the Prime Studio. Oh, yeah. 
it, you can't choose the surface. Oh, so you'd have Nadal ahead of Federer and Djokovic on, yeah. on another so, surface. So it's a lottery. You don't know what surface it's going to be. You don't know who the oh, opponent's going to be. It. Okay, then. It's a blindfolded. All you're doing is picking the, the person who, all other things being equal, you want to play for your life in one set. I'm, I'm going, going Nadal. I'm going Djokovic. Yeah, I'm going. Um, with those parameters, I'm changing to Djokovic. Because oh. I think Nadal's... I think he's more vulnerable to be kind of hit off the court, maybe. On I'm I'm picking Nadal more for attitudinal mm. reasons than yeah, for tennis-based reasons. I, I feel like he would can do that defend well. my life like a raging bull. But even if he tries to, and even if he's got that intent, if he plays Djokovic, he probably won't win. Yeah, but chances are it won't be Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And for that, uh, you're going you're going Tennessee. <laughs> Yeah. Tennessee on your yes, reasoning yes. but do you know what I mean like Nadal just wouldn't oh, yeah. let you he just wouldn't let it happen mm. he sort of unless as again as I said to Greg in the studio unless he just doesn't like you Greg <laughs> <laughs> he's just happy to just let you go <laughs> yeah oh that hurts uh, what else have we got to talk about so Roger Federer's won Roger Federer goes and plays clay now um, not scheduled to do so until May in Madrid so Tony Godsick has said he won't play Monte Carlo mm-hmm. um, so expecting to see him play Madrid interesting if he'll play Rome mm. yeah I doubt I if he will suspect he'll see how Madrid goes but Rome is the one with the conditions most similar to Roland Garros Hundred uh, actually one of my favourite April Fools of today was no, somebody saying so tiresome. Somebody said that Federer had confirmed that he's going to play Newport. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if he's on 108 or 109, even come on. Nothing against Newport. It's just that I mean, beautiful tournament, home of the Hall of Fame, but it's the week after Wimbledon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep, the player field isn't usually glittering, is it? On the very top level, no. No, I mean, like you say, it's the week after Wimbledon. What would be the most comical event that Roger Federer could play? Newport. If he's on 108. <laughs> he no, played, come he, on. He played Istanbul on clay yeah. once. Yeah. But I could see him, actually, if he gets to 107 and he's got Wimbledon. Wasn't, there <laughs> yeah. was, it's getting Newport as well. You think that's less amusing than him going to Eastbourne? I'd love it if you went to Eastbourne. Yeah. That would be hilarious. The thought of Roger Federer staying he in would break like, an old Eastbourne, lady's B&B in Eastbourne. <laughs> Well, Djokovic played it, didn't he? Well, yeah, and that Serena's was quite comical. Um, Roddick has. I mean, there's not too many that Federer hasn't played, and that's one of them, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's interesting that Federer is top of the race for this year. You know, yeah. yeah. And it's the third year in a row he's been top of the race after Miami. Do you know one wow. thing that... But, I mean, just this, that, does that... I mean, does that mean he's peaked for the season? I mean, he's not... He's not ended any of those years as the number one. It's interesting. Daniela was telling me that Federer and his team um, treat uh, treat the time in between Australian Open and the Sunshine Swing as the off season. They because he plays exhibitions. He has a very busy time in December. He doesn't see that as his off season. Um, he sees the time in between, and actually, he sees Australian Open as like the end of the season. Obviously, with the exception probably of couple of years ago when he was coming back from mm. that time off but mm. generally speaking um, and she thinks that's why he plays his best tennis in Indian Wells and Miami. Do you, do you know though between 2007 and 2017 uh, I think that's right Federer only reached the semi-finals of Miami once he didn't do any better than that mm. and in, all, in 10 years 
uh, although he's won it several times, he had a 10-year pay- period. In 2007, I, I remember this because I went, I, I covered Indian Wells that year and he lost first round to Guillermo Cañas with my wife watching him in the stand for the first time and she'd been hearing about how amazing he was now. He'd lost four <laughs> games, four matches a year for the last three years and she comes out first round and loses straight sets to Guillermo Cañas. Who he just lost to an Indian no, Wells. No, that was in Indian Wells and then two weeks later he okay. goes to Miami and he loses to Guillermo Cañas again. <laughs> right in the third round um and then two years after that he played i think Djokovic in the semis and i, I was there and that's one where he crank crashed his racket mm. into the ground oh, yeah. and broke his racket and in the press conference afterwards he said he actually said i'm to be honest with you i'm just sick of the hard court season and i'm looking to get onto clay now yeah and he was really fed up of it all and and if you look to his results in both indian wells and miami around that period they're not good and he and and he like i say he couldn't get beyond the semis in 10 years of miami and he, and he skipped it a couple of times and mm. i think wasn't his last ever match against roddick i want to say yes. in miami and he lost it. Yes. he lost it and he always beats roddick, roddick. finally it was like <laughs> okay i know you're retiring soon andy here's a win yeah. I, was, I was there for that one as well in uh 2013 I but think it's it interesting what you say about wanting to get on the clay i've kind of i've kind of seen federer's post injury 2016 period is kind of he's kind of seen it i think as all a bit of a bonus really he came out in 2017 and imagine if you're driving a stolen car right what are you looking at me like that for <laughs> so it happens all the time I think like, that's a stretch man <laughs> like you must you must feel a great I could steal one you must feel a Hot great sense it. of liberation to begin with you're like you're doing this really cool thing that no, no one's doing that was Federer in 2017 he was just driving around no one was catching him how does he know this stuff and he was having a great time he's played a lot of yeah. grand theft also <laughs> he's stolen a lot of but cars. the problem is when you're driving a stolen car you're waiting for someone to catch you as well and I kind of feel that was Federer last year you know he'd, he'd had the really fun part and now people were catching him up again and he needs that fun again and I think Federer, for Federer that's the clay this season that's just this is what makes 2019 different to last year playing on the clay he's like a kid isn't he it's fun he's like a bouncy Labrador he doesn't know how just he's going to do just needs some, a new chew toy she's looking at me <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so the moral of this tale is kids don't steal cars yeah that wasn't an advert <laughs> just, just uh, finally before we move on to talk about the women's and the doubles um, just mentioning Novak Djokovic there uh, no mentioning you there saying that Federer back in the day couldn't wait to get off the hard courts and onto the clay Djokovic's parting shot at this tournament was I don't know whether I'll play Monte Carlo yeah. did you hear that <laughs> He looks fed up, doesn't he? He, he does look he fed, looks up. fed up. But I mean, I, 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 need, I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One, I believe he has to play for tax reasons because he's oh. resident there. I believe if the ones that live there have to play. And also, so two, another one of his throwaway so, lines, so, isn't it? Because well, exactly. he's fed up of it when, when did we last hear this from you, yeah. Djokovic? Right before you won Wimbledon. Yeah, not going to play um, on the grass. And reached the Queen's final. He said, yeah. the, um, losing at the French, I don't know if I'll play on the grass. So I just... I've found it amusing he did allude to whether uh, to the off-court shenanigans and the energy he's expended and and you i mean i'm not surprised well, he alluded really. to off-court shenanigans we're assuming that he's referring to the at least in part to the political drama yeah um i can only imagine it would be that but. well we don't he said there's a lot of stuff going on didn't he and it's yeah. uh it's distracted him and ba yeah, he looked thoroughly irritated 
but <laughs> yeah. He'll still win the French Open in Wimbledon. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. The fact that he said, oh, I don't know if I'll play Monte Carlo suddenly made me go, all right, I'm definitely picking him for the French then. <laughs> right then. Ash Barty. Should we just do the Bryan Brothers quickly? Oh, or do you want to do the doubles together? I want to do the doubles together because I think okay. Ash Barty deserves talking about Sharpish. Right, off you go. Uh, first of all, I predicted her in the no, newsletter. No, you didn't. Kind of did. No. I mean, it does it say that in the newsletter, but there yeah. was a wrong prediction oh, before that. There was a full start. David held up the publishing deadline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we couldn't quite get it out on Tuesday, and in which point uh, Kyrgios and went and lost which meant that I couldn't get my Kyrgios Federer final that I'd predicted on the show last week um, so I decided to go for Ash Barty instead and she did win so anyway that worked out um, but isn't she a joy isn't yes. she a joy to watch absolutely 100% and not only yes. is she a joy to watch now she's got the results to go with it well yeah, that, yeah. that's always been my thing with Ash Barty like, I love watching her play but can she step up like I don't think she kind of freezes in a moment, but does she kind of rise to a moment? I've always wondered about that. Like, I remember watching her this year at the Australian Open when she played Petra Kvitova, and she had all the crowd on her side, but she wasn't really using it. That's just her personality, her style, if you like. But I did wonder whether she was, you know, whether she kind of had it in her to win big, but, I mean, she does. Do you know how I mentioned Denis Shapovalov as playing like a junior against Federer. Mm. This is a, it's not at that level, of course, but I tend to find that Ash Barty carries herself as a player who wants to play and she wants to compete. She wants to play nice tennis, but she's not s- sort of out there thinking, I have to win this. I have to because I'm a bit, and I'm going to. There's nothing you can do. I'm just going to go and beat you. Mm. She just she can't, turns up, she punches the clock, and she plays, and then she leaves, and then you see what the result is. This week it was different. I got the sense that she thought, well, there was almost a bit of the Bianca Andreescu's about her this week. Absolutely, I'm good enough. Absolutely, my game can hurt you, and here it is. Deal with it. Yeah, I think that's a really um, an interesting comparison. And, and the fact that she played and beat Kvitova en route to the title this week, I found that really significant because, as you said, Matt, that that match-up in Australia was a little bit of a damp squib mm. just because, as you said, the it was so hyped up and the atmosphere was incredible, but it was like she wasn't feeling that on the I don't know there was a there was a slight disconnect yeah. wasn't there um, and I know that uh, you pointed out to me David during the BT coverage this week that um, Martina Navratilova was making quite a, a point about imposter syndrome mm. in relation to Simona Halep I yes. think it was um, and how that feeling of belonging at the top doesn't necessarily it's not natural to um, some people and I think more so more so women than men and I think there's probably an element of that with Ash Barty big element and I think not just in terms of her personality but also her game it's not a a big bash kind of a game I think she I think personality wise she has some she I mean there's a fine line between being charmingly unassuming which is a great thing and and um, and that's that imposter syndrome which is although entirely understandable and relatable um, in in terms of your potential success I imagine a negative thing and something that has to be overcome um, but yeah going out there and going I'm good enough and my game is good enough was 
an incredibly uplifting thing to see. But you know, I just stole a line from Pat Rafter just now by saying, here's my game, deal with it. That's what he said 15, 20 years ago when he played on clay even. And he got to, I think, got to the semi-finals of the French Open one year. And here he is, the ultimate chip charge serve and volley. And he said, look, there's no secrets. This is my game. If you can stop it, fine. But he went out there and he, for a while, Pete Sampras and he kind of fell out. And he took, because he got in Sampras's face, and he chipped and charged him and he went at him. And he, he wasn't going to be nice about it. He was just going to present him with his own game. Why and, did, and, I mean, and, surely Sampras can understand that. Well, well yeah, no, they I think he can. Out. But it was, well, you know, it's just, it's the alpha male stuff. You know, but you don't <sighs> associate that with... Pat Rafter is my point. Pat Rafter's lovely. Who do you know that has a bad word to say about Pat Rafter? But he did not let that get away in the way, ultimately, of him achieving his potential and even perhaps overachieving. And that's... I draw the parallel with Ash Barty because she's also just unfailingly liked. You don't know anybody who's got a bad word to say about it. And the danger is that you end up not having teeth out on the court and she's shown that she's got teeth yeah well it's all this uh, you, you, know, you still hear all this waff about it is there such a thing as being too nice to be a winner you know every mm. time Kevin Anderson or Marin Cilic steps out to play you hear that debate swirl around and uh, it came to my mind uh, in the men's final yesterday with Roger Federer and John Isner was heavily and you know he couldn't walk he sort of crumpled over in in tears at one point and that's a that's a big old crumple from (laughs) from six foot eleven and Roger Federer looked like a dead-eyed assassin (laughs) out there and yet he's a lovely bloke and he's a lovely bloke and his words about John Isner afterwards were you, you knew you know deep down in there somewhere he was really feeling for him but in that moment he had to be a cold-hearted assassin Mm. and it really I I really it's not something I didn't know was there in Roger Federer but seeing it sort of laid bare in such a crude scenario like that I found very interesting and and it's that I think that we maybe would have doubted that Ash Barty had I think you know there would have been times a while ago when we would have doubted if Naomi Osaka had it Mm -hmm. Um, and she certainly does it it presents itself in different ways with different people but I'm not sure you can win the big titles without having some of that and also has just in terms of her game has anyone ever maximised their serve so much she she out served she out aced Piscova, 15 to 6 in the final. Yeah. Barty's 5 Ooh. foot 5. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, Pliskova, Pliskova was unwell, I mean, or at least seemed unwell halfway mm. through that, that final. But I, that, I think that risks taking something away from, from Barty. You're right. I mean, there was a period where she hit six aces in eight points. Right, wow. Um, in, the, in the second set. And it's got everything that serves. She can slide it, she can hit this absolutely vicious kicker out wide um, and it's just everything you see about what she's trying to do it's like watching a, 
a, a wonderful snooker player playing combinations of shots in order to to achieve a goal rather than just one big mm. booming shot variety is the buzzword of the moment in yeah. tennis isn't it i mean it it, it was the word that uh, greg and daniela were were using most in relation to roger federer's success throughout the miami bianca andreescu yes she can belt the ball as well but i think what people are most taken with is her variety belinda bencic all about yeah. that variety ash barty as well this is Sue is having yeah. a, res- oh. a where does uh, where does barty go from here does she go from here does she she's won a premier mandatory tournament which is one below the slams is she going to win a grand slam title in her career in your opinion <sighs> do you know what she Right now, if if, it, if we were skipping the clay and going straight onto grass now, where are my coins? Where would you put her in your <laughs> list of Wimbledon favourites? Certainly top five. Yeah. Well then. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm going to put my coin in. There we are. He's he's literally doing coins. Yeah. And she's gonna she's gonna it's win a slam. And she's only well. she's only twenty two. She's got so many chances. How is she still that young, Matt? I have no Tell idea. me how that is a thing. And. I've got so many players, though, that I keep saying they're going to win a slam. There's not enough to go around. <laughs> you know there's I've only got four Serena year, Williams right? winning at least two more. <laughs> Bianca Andreescu's going to win ten. Do you think it'll be Wimbledon? Um, or I, think, I think she could win the US Open. I think she could, a bit like Sam Sosa did. Uh, I think that that kick serve could work really well there she actually referenced Wimbledon because I remember last year we she was all the rage everybody was talking about how I think she'd won one of the two tournaments coming into Wimbledon she won she? Birmingham or Nottingham and we were all talking about her she ended up playing Daria no, Kasatkina Nottingham she won Nottingham Kasatkina just messed her about and, and she references that match in her post-match interview with Courtney Nguyen the WTA insider and said from there is when she she really started making progress. I think that that really upset her, that loss, and, and just made a double down on her determination to, to, to maximise her, her results from her career. Um, so I, I think she'll at least reach a final, and if I'm putting on the spot and my coin's in the middle, she's going to win a slap. No one asked you to physically put money on it. I'll take it back now, put it back in my pocket. 50p on the table. It's, it's now in my pocket. And the thing is, so she's the 14th different winner of 14 events this year on the WTA Tour yeah so there's so many people in contention for these tournaments it's awesome it's brilliant so much fun oh dear we're not going to be able to get our predictions right with this are we uh, so the doubles the Bryan brothers Andy Murray was watching that wasn't he <laughs> yeah. as Bob Bryan just sort of you know dragged his metal hip out onto the court and played Unreal tennis um, to get to beat Stefanos Sitsipas and Wesley. What's his second name? Kulhoff. There you go. Um, Tell us about it. Uh, well, the speeches were <laughs> as entertaining, if not more so, than the match afterwards. Um, it was a great. I mean, they are even without the uh, major, major reconstructive hip surgery that Bob Bryan had eight less than eight months ago. Um, they're an incredible story. They're 40 years old. I remember when it's it's Mike that has the three children, I think. when I remember Mike Bryan saying sort of eight or nine years ago, I'm only going to play until my children reach school age because I can't envisage myself being on the tour 
you know, and that's all gone out the window. <laughs> they just can't tear <laughs> themselves away. I think, again, I think there's something that Roger Federer has helped with, you know, sort of setting a new standard for for life on tour and what's possible and what's achievable. Um, so, yeah, they're 40 years old. Uh, they've been written off so many times. A couple of years ago, they, they were having a real dip, weren't they? And they were pretty much written off. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it wasn't their first title back. They'd won in Delray Beach, but... I mean, how gutting it must have been for not just for Bob Ryan to sit on the sidelines, but to watch his twin brother win win the US Open with Jack Sock. Um, I mean, it's bittersweet, I suppose. You know, yeah. great in a way, but you must be must be a heart. Yeah, all as those well. layers of emotions. He must because mm. he must have felt envious, and then he probably hated himself for feeling yeah. envious of it because it's his brother, and just all those complicated emotions. Um, but yeah, doing it with the metal hip, and he dives around mm. like he's fourteen years old. He's not. He's obviously has complete confidence in it. It, it does make you wonder, doesn't it, whether this is actually doable for Murray? It I does do. Anyway. I do find it interesting that Andy Murray didn't go with Bob Bryan's surgeon, Mister mm. Sue, because Bob Bryan's surgeon is the one. It, Bob heavily recommended him to, to him and I think he's quite a, he's a bit of a rock star surgeon you know he's he advertises himself as the only guy that can get athletes back to professional level he's done it with a baseball player and a couple of others I think a cyclist um, and that's why Bob Bryan went with him and the Australian Open when he was being quizzed about it Bob said yeah I would absolutely recommend Mr Sue Dr Sue um, to Andy so I found it interesting um that podcast that that you two did uh, with Simon Briggs after speaking to Andy Murray that that he said I you know I went went with the surgeon I did because she was honest with me mm. I didn't go with the rock star saying I can get you back to where you were it's when, very Andy Murray isn't it's it it's very Andy Murray um, but that doesn't mean he can't hope no. and wish and take some solace from what Bob Ryan did the speeches quickly. <laughs> So, uh, the the runners up speeches first. Stefano sits a pass, takes the takes the mic. Um, he's never been in an, in a doubles final before, right? So he's never done this before. Bless him. Uh, he's he's obviously trying to remember everything. Goes to you know, thanks the ball kids, the crowds, the lines people, the caterers, um, <laughs> you know, the lollipop ladies. Um, and then he goes, oh, I, I, th- I, th- I think that's it. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, do you want to say anything? He says to Wesley Kohlhoff. And Wesley Kohlhoff takes the mic and goes, yeah, I'd like to thank my partner. Because Sitsipas had not a thank to Wesley. Which, look, he should have done. But Wesley Kohlhoff threw him right under the bus. <laughs> and then uh, and then the Brown brothers are doing their speeches. Lovely, lovely speeches. Brilliant talking uh, in very heartfelt terms about you know what they've been through the past year etc etc and then they do the uh, customary paying tribute to their opponents thing and Bob goes uh, or is it Mike one of them it's definitely the Bob or Mike goes uh, Stefanos Wesley you've had a great tournament well done Stefanos you've got a great career ahead of you Wesley you do too <laughs> And Which he does. Pretty sure the pause was that long. Slightly different type <laughs> of career ahead, no doubt. Um, yeah, it was. It was brilliant. <laughs> it was all brilliant. Yeah. And it's a career for Wesley Kohlhoff that this year involves Stefano Sitsipas for the rest of the year because Sitsipas said on Instagram that they're going to play 
all the Masters 1000 events together, and wow. he said it before April Fool's Day, so we can we can <laughs> we can we can assume that he wasn't having us on. Yeah. Which is interesting because I assume they only teamed up. They there was scratch partnership in India Mars. I assume they only teamed up because Kulhoff didn't have the ranking he needed. Uh, passes singles ranking to get him into the yeah. the draws there, which isn't the case anymore now that he's got the mm. rankings points from Miami. But so nice that they're there's carrying a lot on of, and, a and lot have of obviously this now. I mean, there's a lot of singles players giving it a go in the doubles now. Um, Shapovalov's doing yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're going to get on to Arena Sabalenka and Elise Mertens, who won the Sunshine Double doubles titles a double double Indian Wells and Miami I mean that is amazing really isn't it or, or is it or is it just actually these are two fantastic singles players then they're their best two singles players in the draw and therefore they go and win together well at least Azarenka and Barty mm. I mean true you know and, yeah. and at least they got in the semi-finals yeah. they? they lost to Mertens and Sabalenka Mertens got to the WTA finals as a doubles player last year with to me, oh, sure. That's is right. It? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From um, Belgium. Yeah. Well done, Matt. Well done. That was plucked from somewhere. I didn't know that actually. And then they broke up, and it was a bit acrimonious. I because, love an acrimonious because double break, apparently Mertens had said she's not going to play much doubles this year, <laughs> <laughs> and Demi Sure was a bit annoyed about it. So she went off with her own partner, and here's Elise Mertens winning everything. So we still don't know what happened with Makarova Vesnina, do we? No. Well, no. Vesnina's gone and had a child, hasn't she? Yeah, but they, but they, when they split up, she, oh. she, that was because they were going great guns. They'd just won the Wimbledon title, love and love, in the final. <laughs> and uh, why are we laughing at that? that it all went horribly funny. wrong. Oh dear! Somewhere along the line, they won, they won Olympic gold together, didn't they? Makarova you're, versus Nina. You're putting me on the spot there. <laughs> I don't know. You just plucked Schnur, sure, sure, sure. No, it's Bradley Schnur. He's the one that doesn't bounce the ball, right? Yes. Yeah. A la Thomas Enquist. Oh, cracking my head's out. <laughs> Is it time to go and get another drink? The pub's going to close soon. Um, is it? Yeah, I think it is. Actually, the sun's going down. It's getting cold. You are with, with pub opening time. We're going to go inside the pub now and get another round of drinks in um, because this has been another tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph, executive produced uh, by TennisBalls.com with our mascot, Rio, with a Y. Catherine and Matt and me, we're going to be back again next week with a questions special, listener questions special, uh, guest edited by one of our uh, biggest Kickstarter backers. We'll do that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, while there's not so much going on in the tennis world we're going to be back in time for Monte Carlo and Fed Cup and all the clay court swing and everything else we can't wait hope you enjoyed the show yourselves make sure you tell everybody you know about it if you've enjoyed it and we'll be back with you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 